0: And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. My guest today is Margaret Byfield. She is the Executive Director of the American Stewards of Liberty. And many of you may have been following. I've been trying to sound the alarm about these NACs, Natural Asset Companies. And she knows way more than I do. So, And she's been doing tremendous work. So we're going to welcome her. I'm so grateful to have her here today. How are you, Margaret?
1: Hi, Courtney. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. So uh, maybe we can just start with your backstory and how did Nax even get on your radar? I know you have a little personal experience with the government and your own family property, 27 year litigation or something like that. So yeah.
1: Well, so we, I run a property rights organization. So we track these kind of issues. We've been tracking them for 30 years. And yeah, it does come out of, I kind of fell into this, you might say, or or was born into it (laughs) with my family's (laughs) case, but um, it's just been, you know, the lifelong passion of our organization has been to protect property rights because it is the key to preserving individual liberty. And so, you know, it's more than just land, being able to use the land, it goes much deeper than that. But when President Biden was elected, um, we were watching all of the in, environmental literature, and they were talking about this 30 by 30 agenda, and so we really studied that agenda and and watched it enough to know that this was coming to America, and in through the biden regime and so we were ready for it we had studied 30 by 30 and he implemented 30 by 30 six days into his administration and we had our first county pass the first resolution to oppose this in three weeks and had a great guide that we got out to everybody and just you know just got the grassroots informed and we blew it up to where uh, within three months, the Biden administration had to change the name of this program to now it's called America the Beautiful. But 30 by 30 is the international agenda to permanently protect 30% of the world's lands and oceans. And the Biden administration initiated that to permanently protect, meaning no human use, by 2030, 30% of our land. So, and that's just the first goal. And the executive order says that it says at least that, that amount of land, they're really going for the half earth philosophy, which is 50% by 50 by 50. So tracking that.
0: Wilson's book, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tracking that issue. Um, we, uh, Mm -hmm. in September of 2021, we got the first notice of the, this effort to create natural asset companies or NACs. Mm -hmm. And so we dug into it then, we knew this was serious, we knew that the players behind it were very serious about getting this done, and we we knew it was connected to 30 by 30. So we've been watching it since then, and there have been a lot of different things that have happened since then, but the big issue, what really brought it onto everybody's radar was the SEC October 4th uh, actually issued a proposed rule to authorize these natural asset companies? And I think that's where everybody is, you know, definitely alerted a lot of people because it really became real to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I know this is, uh, I I did a little bit of digging into this. This has been a long time coming. They've been really, you know, building this up to now. Um, And it looks like it started with back in 1992, Pelosi did a bill, the Health Earth Summit. And then, of course, the uh, UN created this new accounting system, a system, the S-E-E-A, Uh, EA, right? So it's a systems Mm -hmm. of economic, environmental accounting, ecosystems accounting, because the the traditional uh, generally accepted accounting principles would not work for what they're trying to do. And the article I read was saying that 90 countries had signed on to this UN plan. And they kept saying the the United States has not yet. So why do you think they're targeting the United States so hard? And, uh, and of course, uh, yeah, then last year, January 23, the Biden administration did do their version of the UN uh, accounting, you know, accounting ecosystem accounting plan. So now they have it all ready to go, it seems. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Biden administration actually has signed onto that, that agenda. Their White House strategy that they initiated or finalized January of 2023 says that they are using the UN EA accounting system. So that's that's what they're that's what it's based on, and this accounting system actually got its origins back in 1980. That's when the UN first started talking about we need to figure out a way to quantify and monetize these parts of nature that um, that nobody really has a right to own, but they wanted to be the ones that had the right to control them. And so they actually started this process to monetize natu- nature's capital. Is what they what they talk about back in the 1980s they still call it that today they refer to that today but now they term it in natural processes ecosystem services um, that we are not properly valuing those things. And therefore that's why you know we're destroying the earth, of course, is their narrative, which is not true. But um, so it has really long legs in the UN and that's what's so dangerous about the accounting mechanism that they're using. It's not based on govern- our, our system of accounting as you well pointed out. This is based on voodoo economics through the United Nations. And you know, I've talked to some really uh, very uh, informed financial experts who have spent their lives in this issue, and that's what they call it: is voodoo economics, um, because it's <laughs> it looks <you> know, like. <laughs> yeah, it's just not. It's not legitimate, and America, yeah. in no way, shape, or form, should be relying on this.
0: Well, uh, just to clarify for the audience, you know, uh, the reason—and I'm not a financial expert—but the reason it looks like voodoo economics, that's what I was calling it as well. Uh, to me, is because typically, uh, when you're valuing something, it's a uh, you know determined based on the production. You know, what is that co- like? What is the what are you producing, and what is the value of that product? And this is actually the opposite. So under the name, uh, under the guise of the name conservation, they're actually, uh, you know. Saying that you can't do anything productive on the land, so like as you pointed out, you can't use the land. So what is it that they're actually valuing? And it seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's a carbon offset type of thing that
1: they're. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that they are that they give as an example of the type of things that they can value. But photosynthesis, pollination, Mm -hmm. what what they're talking about putting a price tag on are things that nature does that really Mm -hmm. do. Not, do not qualify as property. There's a reason these have never these things have never been monetized before. Number one, a very w- good way to understand property is it's something that you can exclude others from using. So, in, in other words, words your home, you own it, you can tell who goes in and who who stays out. That's your property. Right. Um, right. You're talking about quantifying things that they can't put a boundary on, around. They can't put a boundary around a clean air and decide that you get to have it, but I can't. And they can't put a boundary around pollination or photosynthesis or any of these natural processes. And so it, first off, it doesn't qualify as property, but that's exactly what they're trying to make property. And it's, they're doing it because they, first off, this green economy has wrecked our economy. Okay. So they are, they have spent us into the trillions. We are in massive debt. And so this is their, their, the way that they have come up with to figure out how to get the American people to pay for this all these bad decisions and this new social agenda. So I think we can see it. Ha- we can see it impact the American people in a couple of ways, either by taxation, through biodiversity credits, or some kind of environmental tax, or by creating this new asset that they say has this this value four four times the amount of actual land assets is what they're saying, Mm -hmm. then they tax that additional value on the property tax. So if your property, you have 40 acres or you have a home on a a lot and you pay $10,000 a year in taxes, that tax potentially, according to their figures, could go up to about 40,000 a year. I mean, this is when you extrapolate this thing out, it is absolutely crazy and criminal what they are trying to do to the American people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it was the intrinsic uh, exchange group that is uh, partnering with the New York Stock Exchange. So I I did a little bit of diving. I'm very curious if you know anything about this. I, I did find out a little bit about the IBD. They're involved in backing it. Of course, the Rockefeller Foundation, that's not super surprising. And then Abadir, uh, Ventures, which is like a technology healthcare company, seems a little odd. And then, entertaining ideas—I couldn't find anything about them. So, do you know anything about these partners, and why are they so interested?
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of the partners. Some of them are there just for um, to help the program. They're like they're like essential to getting the program running, to get it working um but uh, but some and and a lot of the partners behind it they're the ones who have been pushing the climate crisis narrative they're the ones behind the net zero program that agenda and decarbonization and they're the ones behind the 30 by 30 agenda and if you look at the supporting organizations you probably looked at those too you'll see groups like world wildlife fund world wildlife fund is all in on locking up as much land as possible worldwide and as well as Conservation International. They're very big in the 30 by 30 agenda. So what you have is you basically have the climate crisis robber barons. If you remember the robber barons of the industrial age, this is the same con. Um, It's the same thing you use, except in this, this time, they're using a social agenda, this green agenda, in order to snuff out the competition and monopolize the resources through the NACs so that they will own and control our natural resources and they are extinguishing the small landholder, the the uh, middle-class American off of these lands. They are working to put all of our resources into this consolidated pot, either through environmental NGOs or through the federal government or any kind of a consolidated ownership. And that's, that's what the NACs really represent. And it's not that they're gonna enroll necessarily the land itself, they can they're gonna enroll these ecosystem rights, ecological performance rights that they are creating out of whole cloth, creating out of thin air, and that's what they're enrolling into it. And then they're, the SEC is giving these NACs management authority over these rights. So right. what that is doing is it's allowing the people who invest in these NACs to control through that management authority. They will control everything that happens on that land, whether or not, uh, they own it or not. They will have that power to control it through the sustainability mandate. And the people who are going to invest in this, BlackRock, China's sovereign wealth funds, our adversaries, the people who are interested in locking up America's resources to basically bring us to our knees so that they can become, become, become the world dominant powers. Um, so that's what these NACs are allowing. And the New York Stock Exchange and the SEC and Intrinsic Exchange Group are complicit in this.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about these management uh, rights, so essentially they will be able to, let's say you own, cause I'm curious about like people who may own farmland and then maybe like they have a conservation easement on that land. Now that's enrolled in this uh, NAC and now somebody could come in and tell them because it's under this knack that they can't farm on it or they can't, you know, make a well, or what, what does that mean for those people?
1: Yeah, so a conservation easement already limits the landowner. Um, right. To understand the conservation easement, when somebody signs a conservation easement, they essentially, their land is no longer private property because what mm-hmm. they are selling to the land trust is the development right and the right to control the property through the conservation purpose. That now becomes the primary purpose for the use of the land, no matter what else the contract says. That is now the primary purpose of the land. So that's a right that the land trust or the government owns, depending on who that's sold to. And so they can enroll that right. It's a separate right. They can enroll that into a NAC with or without the landowner's permission. Once it goes into that NAC, the purpose of the NAC is to sustainably manage these lands, and there can be no activities on the lands that are not replenishable. Well, that's their definition of sustainability. You won't find it in the proposed rule; they don't define it. So now we're talking about um, it. That then makes it a very loose. In fact, the proposed rule says will nod back to when they talk in their definition section, they will nod back to this UN uh, ecosystem accounting framework for the definitions for these kind of terms. So but mainly what that means is that 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 term sustainability is going to be subjective. It's going it is going to mean whatever the policymaker at the at the time decides it means for that day. So it could mean hey today sure you can continue to do a little bit of ranching and farming on this land. 5 years from now that's not sustainable anymore. So that's what is so dangerous about this and it gives them way too much power to control America's land. And they can do it through the conservation easement. There are other conservation programs out there that landowners have been signing up because this administration in particular has been throwing these programs at landowners and a lot of money to sign up for these climate smart programs and other programs. And a lot of landowners have done this. And when they do, they are putting a federal nexus on their land through the federal funding. And so those lands now, in fact, um, Senator Ricketts, Crapo, and Rish's letter asked that question. You know, can lands that are enrolled in conservation programs like the Conservation Reserve Program, can those be, can the the government now enroll those in a NAC? They asked that question, and of course, SEC hasn't responded to that. So there, I mean, there's a lot of questions out on what does that mean? Um, This can impact a private landowner in ways that they don't even understand yet and um it could be very very devastating
0: wow so what who else could be impacted by this is, like the- a, is it like private federal yeah like what type of land can be under put, put under a knack and what because i know that in uh you, you the you guys did a phenomenal uh comments and you listed and one of the things was that it could be even without the landowner's permission that But like how does that work how could that
1: happen yeah back to the conservation easement um example the land trust can and that's where these that's where these environmental groups come into play that's why they're also supportive of this agenda you're not having anybody in the environmental community coming out and opposing these they're actually very very quiet on this issue because they know how bad it is for the landowner but but they they're in on the caper in other words the land trust can enroll that uh, easement without the landowner's permission into um, a NAC, get paid for that enrollment because they've enrolled the asset, and then the NAC pays them to make sure that the land is sustainably managed. So they 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 get to double dip in this. They're going to make a lot of money. In fact, they're probably the only ones who will make money uh, off of this agenda. So, um, so you have that side, but then you have the federal land side. So the mm-hmm. government owns uh, the government's total owner own, already own 40% of our nation. Only 60% of our nation is owned by the, by, still in private hands. And in the West, the federal government owns 50% of the West. The, the West is pretty much federalized already. And so things like if you look at Exhibit C, in the um, proposed rule, or I'm sorry, exhibit mm-hmm. three in the proposed rule, that is the IEG accounting framework. And it, it, it basically goes, sh- goes through and explains, this is how we're gonna value everything based off of the UN accounting um, system. And in that they say very explicitly that our national parks can be enrolled in NACS. Mm-hmm. They, they say it right out. Yeah. So yeah. we're not even, there's no question that the federal government is planning to enroll these. Yes, that is the map. 50% oh, of, the, of West the West is federalized. Yeah. Now, and this one shows all surface and subsurface. So there's some areas that that they may own the mineral estate and not the surface estate. And so that's why there it is a big red blob. But um, absolutely. I mean, that's the scary thing. Those lands are already federalized
0: yeah that no that's that is really really scary um what would that mean for like i guess for resources because this is all about natural resources so what does it mean for resources for mining for farmers for yeah what could that possibly
1: you're asking a very very good question because that is that is how it's going to directly impact every american Mm -hmm. then under the knack they have to take the land out of production So there isn't and they say it's explicitly, there is no mining, there is no oil and gas that can take place, nothing that cannot be replenishable, the farming practices that they will allow are what they call regenerative, regenerative, which really go back to no um, chemical fertilizers. Uh, even, even using, uh, mechanical equipment in the farming industries in regenerative farming is considered bad. So, um, we're talking about going back to old school, you know, think back, you know, 50 years ago, the, the level of equipment that could be used on, uh, in farmland, we're going to go back to that, which is going to decrease production. So what you have to, you have to look at the NAACS as being basically a non-productive productive area now that is not going to contribute to the food supply, the fiber supply, the energy supply, the mineral supply of the United States anymore. And that's locked down forever. I mean, once the NAT goes in, right. uh, that's locked down. So when then what that does is not only does that, that eliminates the productive use of the lands. So now we have a supply issue. We have less product going on the market. So now the price of a carrot it's gonna go up. Uh, we think food prices have gone up high under the Biden administration, which they have. It's it's extraordinary what he has done to our um, economy. Yeah. Y- you need to expect that to go tenfold. I mean, the if these NACs come in, they are going to snuff out the small landowner who is producing our food right now. And um, it's just gonna cause everything to go up. It's also going to make the, the productive land that much more valuable meaning you're going to have to be very wealthy to stay in the business and afford the taxes and be able to buy another piece of land this is literally changing america's um, america into the feudal system that frankly our founders left where the kings and the lords owned everything and the common citizen could not own a piece of land that is where this is taking us
0: yeah, no, that that's exactly what it looks like. I know some people have, like, when I presented this, they said these, you know, something similar is already happening. They're already taking the land. But uh, I've tried to stress and maybe you can help, you know, flesh this out for people that that's not that they, of course, they're doing all sorts of land grabs through all sorts of uh you know, incentives and uh, paying the farmers and, uh, you know, tax incentives where, but that's not the same thing as having it be put up on the New York Stock Exchange as a new class of uh, companies where they can not own it at all and completely manage it. So can you help drive home how, you know, that changes the game and why that is terrifying and should not happen? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so
1: the two agendas are connected. The 30 by 30 agenda is there to clear title, to encumber the private lands with the federal nexus through these conservation programs and to, and restrict and squeeze out the private landowner. So that's really, and to get the the agenda, put more land in that protected status. So that's that's what 30 by 30 was for and is for, is to move as much of our lands into that protected status. Once in that protected status, then they can be enrolled in the NAP. And the NAC serves as the vehicle for the wealthy elite, the climate crisis cartel that has been pushing this agenda to be able to come in, invest, and therefore control our natural resources and ostensibly profit from them. And so it's the way of taking the land out of the control of the American people, putting it in a device, an investment package, this natural asset company, so that the wealthy elite then can profit off of those lands and control those lands and we, the people, no longer have control of our nation.
0: Yeah. And they're profiting off of something that is, is completely made up. I mean, it reminds me of the derivatives in 2008, right?
1: Exactly. It was
0: an artificial way to collapse the economy and for the rich to get richer.
1: Yes. And I don't mean rich,
0: like wealthy people who've worked hard. I mean, you know, what I call the parasite class.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they are the ones that will get wealthy out of this. But if you, if you want me to drill down this into just a little, one more level that it will even make it scarier to you, okay.
0: <laughs> not that we need to
1: make things more frightening, but may as well know, um, yeah. Yeah. there is one way that these NACs can be delisted. And that's if they start mining or drilling the land. So let me run out a scenario. Yeah. um let's say that a NAC is created in, and we'll use the montana conservation area which is what i think they're doing right there now to set up an area for the NAC. montana conservation area the fish and wildlife service is trying to create a 5.8 million acre conservation area which incorporates protected lands so um you know uh federal lands that the government already owns and special designated lands that they already own about half a million acres of state lands and over 2 million acres of private land. And they've just drawn a circle around this and said, this is going to be our conservation area that we are going to work to conserve. So they want to go in and put in a bunch of conservation easements on the land. Landowners don't have a choice. They've drawn the circle. I mean, that's what that fight is all about right now. So, and it's ongoing right now. They're pushing back there, but um, let's say that they create a knack in that, in that area. And so China becomes, the China Wealth Fund decides, you know, I really like this area. And so they come in and they invest in it. They're the main investor and they make sure that they put as much effort into making, making that entire area comply with the sustainability um, mandate that they're forcing through the NAC. Whether or not the landowners are enrolled directly, they're going to be pressured because the circle is around them. Uh, into the sustainability model. And what's going to happen is these landowners aren't going to be able to make a living. And then if you can't make a living off the land, who do you sell the land to? Well, you're not going to sell it to another landowner who can't make a living off of it. You're going to end up having to sell it to the land trust or to the NAC owner or somebody else. So eventually through the sustainability model, they can squeeze out the small landowners so they literally have to give up because they can't make a living on it anymore and then they acquire all the resources so now let's say this NAC and the investors own all of these resources um and then and so they now have all the minerals all the all of the oil and gas they they have all of the the farming ranching area to do what they want with all they have to do is start mining and drilling and the NAC goes away and they will be able to utilize every drop every bit of those resources and exploit them you know to the level that they want to exploit them the only penalty in the new york stock exchange rule is that they will be de- delisted if they violate the sustainability model or mandate so that's the level that this can go and that's the reason why my dad was right he said this 30 years ago the environmental movement is not about whether we are going to use our resources. It is about who is going to use our resources. And Mm -hmm. right now, that's what the NACs are trying to decide and determine and taking the the American landowner out of the picture and consolidating everything so that the world elite can own America.
0: Wow, I I was afraid that that was possible and that you just confirmed my my big fear. that is really, really horrifying. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, the next question is: uh, Do do you think there is? Well, before we get to the, cause I do think we can I at least believe we can stop it and people like you are doing a great job to, to help that along. Um, but before we do, I, you said that this is really about like who controls the resources, who controls that land and who owns it. And uh, you mentioned the, uh, the wildlife uh, organization, which was a brainchild of Julian Huxley, who was very much a, you know, Malthusian eugenicist, uh, the, uh, he was uh, one of the founders of UNESCO. And there's a famous quote. I'm going to butcher it, so I won't even try to remember it. But it's essentially about you know how we have limited resources and we need to depopulate. So do you think that's really what's the underbelly of this agenda? Is that because it sounds like they could starve people out and uh, you know freeze people, like in Montana, who won't be able to have the resources to be able to turn on heat. Um, yeah, it sounds like that could be... A possibility
1: yeah i i look at this i think you have different la- layers of the agenda so you have mm-hmm. those that you know that come from kind of the audience that you're talking about um world economic forum where their motivation is power and money and right. to them they are just elitist and they believe that they know more about uh, how we should live than we do so therefore controlling us getting control of all the power and the wealth is just their agenda and there's always a group of people throughout society, that that's their agenda. And then you have those that are really in it for the social um, reasons. In other words, they're empathetic to a particular position and they really do buy into this idea that we must depopulate, that um, nature must have rights equal or better than humans. And that social kind of religious fervor that's behind this, that drives a lot of the key people in this, in this environmental movement to really understand them the, most of them are atheists they their god they don't believe in the creator they believe in the creation so that's why you they they guard mother earth they worship mother earth they worship mm-hmm. the creation and so to them when they see land being used you know that's like using their god and so they see the issue very differently it's a legitimate um position that some people are taking uh, legitimate in the sense that they do believe that mm-hmm. um, okay. so you have that that whole social religious fervor kind of pushing the agenda and then you have the other group of people that just like the power you know and so they like to be in okay. the the elected positions where they can control all that this and okay. you have all those forces working together to gain control of the resources the thing about all those three agendas is they are all working together because even they may, even though they might have different perspectives and and reasons for doing it buying into the climate crisis agenda and pushing net zero and 30 by 30 and decarbonization and ESG all of those things lead them to that ultimate goal that they want which is that nobody should own anything you know and we will be happy right, right. But you have to you have to back up and say, Okay, wait a minute, Somebody's going to own it. Somebody is going to own it and control it. And that's what's so different about our nation is our founders, they knew that was the ultimate question. They knew that for us to have liberty and be different than any other nation and actually be independent and under self rule, the people would have to own the land. And um, our opponents today know that as well. And that's why they are trying desperately to get the land out of the control of the American people.
0: Yeah. Wow. And how do you, you mentioned ESG. So do you think that this is connected to ESG? And can you explain how?
1: Well, ESG is, uh, that's really a mechanism to infuse a social agenda into the marketplace. So it is a precursor to what they are trying to do here. Because again, here with the, um, with the NACs, they are trying to uh, use a social agenda being, being move us all to sustainability as opposed to a market-driven agenda that is driven by consumer uh, desires and needs. They are, right. they are trying to drive the agenda through this artificial social agenda and um so that's and that's the same thing that esg does is mm-hmm. it it were it is putting this social goal into it and trying to trying to make it a part of the market and what's dangerous about both of these policies is that it, it's a it creates market distortions it's not it, it makes the market so that it's not um dependent on real value anymore you know, tangible value, it now it's based on what a bureaucrat in an office decides the price of air where you were living should be and the price of air where I am living should be and it's all subjective. And you know, the other part of this is this isn't something that the people can decide whether or not they want to breathe clean air. It's not like buying a a piece of art that has a high value. And you might say, hey, I would pay that money for it. And I might say, well, you can have it because I would not. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's where, that's what our, the way that our marketplace is set up today is that it's consumer driven. We as people get to decide whether or not we're going to buy something. And that's why these kind of assets have never ever been monetized before because this isn't a choice on whether or not we want clean air and to breathe. Every human has that right, and nobody has the right to own that. But that is essentially what they are doing is putting an ownership right on these assets, which then means they can decide who gets to use it and buy how much, or or how much we're gonna have to pay for it to use it.
0: Right. I used to make that joke, uh, years ago and that, you know, they were going to commodify our air and, uh, regulate it. And, uh, here we are. So oh, didn't You didn't so know so
1: you, you, you were a prophet, I guess.
0: <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, I, I wish I wasn't, I, I wish that it, w- it remained a joke. Um, it's not sounding so funny now. Um, so yeah, what you were talking about how two days ago, uh, 25, uh, who who was it oh, who got together? Yes. Yeah, so this
1: is, I mean, this is fantastic. What has been yes. really wonderful is that as our elected leaders have started learning about this, I mean, they we have just had some real heroes step up and they have just jumped in with, you know, both feet and said, no, 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 not on our watch. And so, you know, Representative Hagman has been phenomenal. She led the House and got 31 members of Congress to sign a letter. Uh, Which is which is one of the reasons that they reopen comments um, on this on this rule, which is the period we're in right now. Alongside her, um, Utah State Treasurer Marlo Oaks has really dove into this, and he you know he's he obviously this is his field he understands the financial markets, Mm -hmm. and so um, he has been he he did an op-ed in Wall Street Journal. And that really alerted the business community. Mm-hmm. And then he he helped uh, gather together the 23 state financial officers who signed a letter uh, opposing this and requesting that they, they reopen comments and look at this further. But what happened two days ago is 25 state's attorney generals signed a letter, filed it with the SEC, And I mean, it's a phenomenal letter. They minced no words. They made it very clear that that the SEC trying to approve this rule is way out of their jurisdiction and doing so would violate the law. So we have 25 states now stepping in and saying, no, you can't do this. That is phenomenal. And, um, And then just a few hours ago, the House Resource Committee uh, issued their their letter to the SEC in which they are inst- they are beginning the oversight process, so the the House committees can investigate this. And um, what's what's really interesting here is it's the Financial Services House Financial Services Committee that has the authority uh, and oversight over the SEC, but they have stood down. They are not investigating this. They know about it but they are not mm. investigating this. So I'm, I'm just so thankful that the House Resource Committee stepped in and said, well, we will. So they just did that a, a couple hours ago. So that's fantastic as well.
0: So do you think, uh, I'm sorry, I missed. Who is it that has oversight of the SEC that did that stuff It's
1: down? Yeah, it's the Financial Services Committee. Oh. The House Financial Services Committee has direct oversight of the SEC. And, and I'll tell you what we know happened there. The IEG okay. and the New York Stock Exchange came in and briefed the staff of that committee uh, and all, like, all the legislative assistants of the, of the members on that committee. And basically, after that meeting, the committee members decided we need to stand down. We should, we should not uh, intercede in this process. We will do something after if they approve the rule. So they really, I mean, it's startling they have yeah. the authority to step in and the direct oversight of this committee and that is their job frankly that is their job sure. and i i really think there are three members on that committee who, who broke ranks and signed harriet Hagman's letter opposing this uh they were three of the 31 that signed that letter and god bless them yeah. it, but the rest of them they need to i think i i mean you can you can ask your audience this i would i would ask them to call those members on the Financial House Committee, the Financial Services House Committee, and ask them for a public statement on whether or not they approve or disprove the NACs. And if they will ask the chairman, Patrick McHenry, to initiate an investigation into these NACs, um, it will take his leadership to do that, and the members push to do that. And I also think every member on that committee should have to come out with a statement publicly on whether they approve or disprove the NACS. this is their role this is what this is the, their committee they have this oversight
0: absolutely yeah pressure definitely needs to be put on them um, that's very interesting that they had that meeting. I, I also noticed that the IEG hired this marketing company, Confluence Partners. I don't know much about them, but I've I just read just their basic website and it talks about how they have to you know, position the journalists because it's so complicated, uh, but it sounded like the code for, we need to create a lot of propaganda. And they were also talking about advising uh, NGOs as well.
1: Which- yes and and that's i mean that's really interesting you picked that up they this you know we have to go back to this is not built on a strong accounting financial system mm-hmm. nor is it based on a strong argument for climate you know change or climate crisis that's also built on sand so it's going to come down to pr i mean they were really hoping to get this through by now first off by getting it done very quietly without a lot of notice and um now you know we have seen the pr machine kick in and they have some really lovely videos on their website and they are really really working the pr side to try to get people convinced that this is really going to be good for them and um, so yeah i think they're i i would i would expect they're spending a lot of money right now trying to trying to convince the american people that this is something they should do and support
0: yeah it does seem that way so We have uh, now these uh, uh, twenty-five state generals, and we also have the Marlow Oaks with twenty-two. It might be more now with the state uh, financial treasurers uh, who have all spoken out against Mm this. And uh, what what else can what What is the process now? So I know the comments are extended to January eighteenth. So I. That's why I felt like it was really urgent to sound the mm-hmm. alarm to as many people as possible, write in their comments, put pressure on county, state, federal representatives, whoever, you know, will listen. Um, so if it, we we do that, so just to, if you could tell us what what's the process now? It goes to January 18 with the comments and then what happens from there?
1: And so um, they they actually have opened up. They will have a rebuttal period after the comments mm-hmm. close. So, right. um, if filed com- yeah, yeah. so if you file, yeah, to February second. So if you file comments, then you can rebut anything in, that you've seen put in the record. So that gives us another uh, you know opportunity to really put in some substantive arguments uh, opposing NACS. The importance of the comment period is twofold. Number one, to make sure that an agency like the SEC is called out for doing something like this. And, um, and so, you know, even just submitting a, a two or three line comment is worth doing just so that the SEC feels that, realizes the American people are not with them on this, and they need to be noticed. The second thing is, is it creates standing. So let's say that they actually approve this rule, then the next step for us is going to have to be to sue and to sue so that this rule does not go into place and that the NACs do not go in play, into place because it just violates the law. So um, if you're going to uh, be involved in any kind of a, a legal challenge, you need, to be a, you, need, you need to have commented in the comment process. And we've really encouraged people to do that because one of the things you have to do when you get into litigation is you have to prove standing. In other words, you need to be able to show that that whoever files the case has been harmed by the rule. So, you know, that brings up who is that going to be. And so we have been concerned and we want to make sure that we have enough people in the record so that we can um, we can show that we have standing so that we can challenge the rule. So that's why we really want as many people in as possible. I mean, you may you you may get a call, you know, from somebody saying, would you like to be a plaintiff in a case suing on the NCRL. You know, I mean those kind of things could could happen, but um, but that's really the reason also for commenting in that process. But it, it really is the pressure. The pressure, and SEC needs to know. There's another place that you can hit. Well, let me let me finish on the the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the statute says that the SEC has to make a decision in 180 days, and I'm trying to get clar- clarity on that. On if it if yeah. it, because they can do it before that, they have to do it within that period. So I'm not sure yet. I'm trying to get clarity from some of the attorneys on um, if there is another hard deadline in there and and um, that we need to be paying attention to, but but for the most part, that's that's the time frame we're we're looking in. Um, okay. There's another place that I think people can can voice their concerns that could be very effective, and that is contacting the New York Stock Exchange. This is their application. They have made this application to the SEC to change the manual language so that they can change the accounting system under which these NACS. Will be uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. They can withdraw their application. If they withdraw their application, it solves the problem for now. Until they try it again, right. <laughs> but it solves the problem for now. Uh, <laughs> or, or so that, they find another workaround. Yes. Yeah, so you know, I would tell people call the New York Stock Exchange. You know, um, right. find a way to 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 place some pressure there as well, and let them know that that this is not something they should be involved in. Especially because the New York Stock Exchange is a partner with IEG; they have a board I position know. on this conflict of interest. Yes, <laughs> so huge conflict yeah. of interest. Yeah, so it, I think the New York Stock Exchange is really in a precarious position by by what they have done so far.
0: So when you say uh, there'll be a lawsuit because they don't uh, that that this is unlawful, I I, that might not be obvious to people. I mean, this is obviously unethical and it's it's just, you know, kind of just egregious (laughs) Um, and it's terrifying. But can you explain like what what's the legality? Why is it unlawful?
1: Well, that's actually the the state attorney generals, I think, did the best mm-hmm. job at laying out the okay. many ways that it is unlawful. It's a powerful letter that they wrote. Okay. Um they laid out how it, it it violates the security law because the purpose of the SEC is to protect the public interest. And they are not doing that here. And there's a number of other other ways that it does it. Um, there is a, a premise in or a doctrine in our legal system called the major questions doctrine that whenever um, the SEC uh, advances rulemaking that uh, is is not ex- that under a power that is not explicitly stated in the statute that authorizes them, then they are going outside of their um, authority and trying to create, Uh, create something that Congress did not intend. And that would be the case in here. And one of the thresholds for determining whether or not they have violated that doctrine, or whether that doctrine comes into play is if it has a significant economic impact, which of course, this here does. So they've met that threshold. So I think the major questions doctrine is one of those questions that the Attorney General's Uh, brought up in their letter. And they, I think that's spot on in this. So there, and then there's the whole Bureau of Land Management Conservation Lease Rule that they have advanced. And the Attorney General uh, explained very clearly how um, the SEC approving this and how that's interlocked with that BLM Conservation Rule making it possible for our federal lands to be enrolled in these these NACs. And the SEC does not have management authority of the Bureau of Lands. Um, they don't have the right to, to authorize the enrollment of them in these, in these, um, vehicles. And, uh, because SEC is also giving management authority to the NACs, they don't have that authority to do, to, um, to exercise on our, our federal lands. So there's, there are just, I mean, it's actually, um, I think they probably could have addressed a number of other legal issues that are where they are, um, uh, also in violation of. But I think those were the high points that the attorneys mm-hmm. generals hit. And there are many, there are many very substantive, very concerning questions uh, that they have raised. Uh, it's a great read. I, I Anybody okay. who really wants to di- dive into this, that's a really good piece to read
0: yeah i will definitely check that out and i'll see if i can post a a link to it as well so just for yeah because i know it can be a little bit daunting for people to write in comments but you you said it could be like a one or two line and I think that's great for people to know. Like, and and they also do make all the comments public to get ideas, right? So. Right.
1: And and the other thing you can do is if you find a comment in there that you agree with, you can simply say, um, "I incorporate as my comments the position of." So you could look at our comments, "American Stewards of Liberty," and say, "Yeah, I mm-hmm. like what they said." And so that you just simply, "I incorporate as my comments." Uh, the position of, you could take the attorney general's letter and say, I incorporate as my comments. You know, I mean, you can go through, find a comment that is made from an entity in your industry that's really good and substantive. And um, just, you're basically agreeing with them and putting on record that you agree with that and that you're incorporating this as your comments. So it can be actually a very simple thing you can do.
0: That's great. That's great to know, because I know that can be a little bit daunting for people. Um, Yeah. So, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we went a little bit over. I'm so appreciative of everything you're doing, all the hard work you put into this and uh, for spending the time with me. If you have anything else you want to add, please do. And uh, if you want people to be able to contact you, let them know.
1: Okay, well, you know, you can definitely go to our website at AmericanStewards.us, which is what you're showing here, and it, it, it'll give you all these resources. Sovereignty Coalition is another place to go because they actually have a portal where you can um, you can submit your comments and you can also send an email to your congressman. So that's really nice. Um, so I so shout out to them. I'm so glad that they put that up there. Um, but that's another really good place to go. And um, I think the other resources you've shown, Marla Oaks, Treasure Oaks uh, website, he's putting some great stuff and keeping people apprised on his website too. So a lot of good sources, a lot of good people jumping into this fight. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for you doing so as well and getting your your audience educated.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I loved your quote. I've been uh, sharing it with everyone that you said uh, – you know, either we, we own the property or we become the property that is owned. That seems to be what we're up against.
1: It is. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank, thank you all you. for watching and listening.